Gotta love the folks at Steel. They help you get the job done right. S-T-I-H-L, they've been helping me for years, whether it's in the backyard with a trimmer, or sometimes when you go camping, I have a handsaw that I can bring. They have battery-operated, they have gas-operated, they have electric power tools of every variety, and they also have 9,000-plus dealers around the country. They're fantastic. Do as I've done. Go with Steel Products, S-T-I-H-L, and you'll find them at steeldealers.com. That's steeldealers.com. Boyer's Coffee is wonderful. I hope you start your day with Boyer's Coffee. They're locally operated, and they have been since 1965. They have outstanding coffee, and they also right now have some tremendous deals. Go to boyerscoffee.com to see the latest on all of their wonderful products. Your favorite coffees will be there. Or you can just go down to your uh, local supermarket and find your Boyer's products there as well. It's boyerscoffee.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, saying goodbye to 2020. Who is the athlete of the year professionally in our region? Looking ahead to 2021. So what should the Rockies do? And part one of Drew's conversation with Tom Green. I enjoy working back at Tail 9 after a long time there in the 80s and, and through the mid-90s. You know, clearly there's still some, some sports left in me. I like doing the news. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a comment it helps other people find the show this is the drew goodman podcast welcome everybody to the final drew goodman podcast of 2020 and i think for everyone out there you're saying good riddance 2020 i mean what a year many books are going to be written about 2020 and what we've had to endure and we look forward to 2021. If for no other reason, it's not 2020. And it promises to be better. It's going to be slow going, I know, initially as we continue to deal with the pandemic. But 2021 is going to be better than 2020. I feel safe in saying that. In sports, we always reflect back this time of year. And you say, okay, what happened that uh, was noteworthy? Who made big headlines? And We'll keep it local, and I was thinking it would be natural to pick, all right, who is the athlete of the year professionally in our region? Well, the Nuggets made a great run after uh, the layoff and, and get to the Western Conference Finals. The Joker was tremendous. Jamal Murray uh, entered superstardom over those several weeks when he had multiple 50-point outings. Those guys certainly candidates in carrying the Nuggets uh, uh, to the cusp of going to the NBA Finals. I think when you look at the Avalanche, Nathan McKinnon, what a phenomenal year. You also have to look at Kale McCarr, who is rapidly becoming one of the top defensemen at such a young age in all of hockey. There are a couple of candidates right there. With the Broncos, uh, you know what? It's hard to find a guy you'd say, boy, this... This guy is worthy of being the player of the year in the state of Colorado in our our region. And probably the same thing goes for the Rockies. You could make a nice case, I think, for Trevor Story. Kyle Freeland had a a great bounce-back year. Herman Marcus, I I think, is an underrated number one. But if I had to, and I'm doing this exercise, uh, you know, it's it's my opinion. And so as I do this exercise, I, I gravitate toward what happened at the former Pepsi Center 
And now they have a new name for it, the Ball Arena or Ball Arena. And that is, I would put my chips and my vote behind Nathan McKinnon. You're talking about a guy that is arguably one of the one or two or three best players in all of hockey, and I think it's going to remain so going forward over the next several years. And so I would say he was the athlete of the year on the professional side in our area. And I would give an honorable mention to a couple of those guys uh, on the Nuggets that I mentioned. Certainly uh, the Joker first, um, and, and what Jamal Murray did late in the year uh, deserves uh, conversation. But if I had to pick one athlete, I would go with Nathan McKinnon as the premier athlete in our region in 2020. A little bit later on, we're going to have Tom Green on. He's an old friend. He's been around forever, and uh, we both have New York roots. And I think you'll enjoy the conversation as we reminisce about the business, about Tom's career. And uh, he's had uh, he's had a fascinating run that has spanned almost four complete decades, which is really hard to do in this business. And Tom is uh, is one of the funniest people I know, one of the wittiest people I know, and I think you'll enjoy uh, part one of our conversation. I want to talk a little bit of baseball here. The Padres all of a sudden are making a ton of noise. Now, A.J. Preller, who's the general manager of the Padres, you may recall a few years ago, did something that, that basically garnered the entire attention of the baseball world for several weeks. I mean, they signed Matt Kemp. They made a, a deal for James Shields. They got Will Myers. They signed all of these big names, and they, and they were going for it. And they were going for it with veteran players. And about two and a half, three months into the next season, they blew the whole thing up. They said, this isn't working, and they traded James Shields. That, by the way, is how they got uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. That trade worked out pretty darn well from the White Sox. Um, and, and they sent most of those guys packing, and they were kind of mired in, I don't even want to call it mediocrity. They weren't a very good baseball team for a few years, but you kept hearing about this system they had, their farm system, because they had acquired so many talented young players. Some have arrived, like Tatis, and, and many have not arrived yet at the big league level. Well, they're pushing their chips in this strangest of off-seasons to the middle of the table again. They're going for it. And I guess they're doing it um, not quite as they did it with, with super veteran players, um, but they're doing it with some, some younger established players like Blake Snell from Tampa. Darvish would be a more veteran player. He's uh, in his mid-30s. But they pick those two guys off. They pick off a, a second baseman with 30 home runs in the uh, KBO last year. And they now have put together a whopper of a rotation. So now when you look at Major League Baseball, and so many teams are keeping it close to the vest. I mean, big money teams, because these owners lost a lot of money last year. And most teams are reluctant to spend money this offseason, or at least they have been so far. But not the Padres. The Padres are saying, we are going to go for it. What does that mean for the Rockies? Well, I, I think it clearly, I mean, to be objective, it clearly means you are looking up, as everybody has been, at the Dodgers, who are the defending world champions, naturally. You are also looking up now at the Padres, and, they were, and you were, honestly, a year ago, before they made these moves to pick up Snell and, and Darvish in this second baseman from uh, Korea. 
So that's two teams without question on paper. I know games aren't played on paper, but those are two teams that are better than the Rockies right now. Their rosters are better than the Rockies uh, top to bottom. So what should the Rockies do? I mean, Arizona's facing the same questions. Uh, San Francisco, the same questions. The the Nolan Arenado rumors are not going to go away. And I throw this out there because at some point, the, the worst place to be is kind of in the middle, where you're not you know, you're not awful, but you're not good enough to contend. And the goal, obviously, is to contend. The goal is to try to find a way to win a, a championship. And it's it's not an easy path. We all understand that. One area the Rockies have to get better that ultimately will help them win major league games is through their farm system. And their farm system has produced some great players, Arenado and Story and Blackman, and you know all the names. I mean, there have been, there've been times where the, where the Rockies' farm system is at the top of the food chain. Right now, unfortunately, it's not. It is looked upon as a, as a bottom third farm system. And, you know, there's some that have it, you know, right near the bottom. And it, there, there are some players that, that I know have a chance to be good down the road. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. But the Rockies have to improve their farm system. And if you're sitting in the middle, how do you get better? And, and the clearest path to getting better is to move some assets for multiple young players. We've seen other teams do it, and it can be painful, and it can be, you know, I, I guess hurtful also in that fans are letting go of players they have become attached to. No one was worse for a few years than the Astros. They lost 100-plus games, what was it, three years in a row? And now, for and, and you know, we'll push aside the, the cheating scandal, but they are and have been an elite team for a few years. They have elite talent. And a lot of those guys were acquired through prudence in the draft because they had high picks and some moves they made to acquire additional uh, talent, whether it be from Latin America or in the North American draft. And, and that's what has to happen, I think, moving forward in the near term for the Rockies. But those are hard decisions, man. I'm glad I don't have to make them. They're not easy. Uh, but when you look at what has transpired inside the division, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. And now the Padres, as I used the phrase earlier, they seem to be an outlier this offseason and even though they are decidedly a mid-market team, they're pushing their chips to the middle of the table and they're saying, we're going for it. And if you're the Rockies, if you're the Giants, if you're Arizona, those are two teams that are going to be really difficult, barring catastrophic injuries, um, to, to jump over. So we'll continue that conversation as we move forward uh, into the new year and some other things crystallize in the baseball world uh, but the Padres have made the most noise in what has been a quiet winter in Major League Baseball. All right, I want to get you to our conversation this week, our Ideal Home Loans conversation, with uh, a guy I've known for a long period of time and uh, a guy that has worn many hats in our region. You see him uh, almost on a nightly basis on Channel 9 on KUSA anchoring the news, but uh, that's just... Uh, a small snippet of what he's done in broadcasting over nearly 40 years. 
Here's our conversation, the Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week with Tom Green. Tom, this is going to sound strange because I guess I'm in, in a similar boat, but you have me by a few years. You have literally been around uh, proverbially forever in this market. You realize that now, don't you? Yeah, it's funny because uh, when you asked me to do this, I started thinking about it. I got here, it'll now be almost 40 years, and I was thinking things that were here that have changed quite a bit. I got here for the last three months of Rocky Hockey, the last uh, six months of Chuck Fairbanks, the last six months of David Thompson here, and uh, just funny how all that stuff that uh, seems so you know, important at the time was suddenly gone, and and there was a bit of a vacuum for a while. But it's uh, it's been a fantastic ride. The whole thing has been uh, an, an amazing uh, era to watch come and go, especially in sports. And and some some people of of a different generation won't understand my reference here, but you also have suffered for many many years from Dick Clark disease because you truly don't age. <laughs> well, it's nice to say, but you know, like anyone my age, you feel it. Um, I, I always, uh, I looked way too young to start my career and it was a terrific, uh, I took it as a terrific handicap, but, uh, I guess that's paying off on the other end now. It's definitely paying off on the other end. It, they're also speaking of, of a different generation. There's a whole generation of, of Coloradans, um, in regional folks that probably have no idea that you began and have spent a good portion of your career in sports, not as a news anchor. I mean, do, when that when when that comes up, are people surprised a little bit? Oh, I guess so. Um, you know, it is funny because uh, you hardly notice the time going by yourself, and then when someone you know references either something that you did in the past or or is unaware of something you did in the past, it kind of reframes you as far as you know, what you've been doing and how long you've been doing it. So, you know, uh, I, I think you and I have had uh, very interestingly similar lives, uh, East Coast guys, Ithaca College guys, sports passionate guys. And back before there really was an industry for sports casting, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to be Marty Glickman or Marv Albert, and I wanted to call the games, and I wanted to be at all the sporting events. And, uh, you know, you think of it now, and it is an industry since since ESPN and all. Do you, you know, it's funny you mention that because yes, we do have similar backgrounds. I want to get to that. You know, New York roots, and and and, and both went to Ithaca. Um, you know, when I started, I wanted to be you know Marv Albert. That's the guy you and I grew up watching, and, and it was amazing because he'd do the six o'clock run over to the garden and call a Ranger game or, or a Knicks game and then run back in at 11, you know, he was at 11.25, he was doing sports. But I always thought, you know, to be a sports guy, you you know, you'd, you'd be on the desk, you'd be an anchor. And I kind of started that way and then morphed into more the play-by-play side. And you, and you stayed, even though you've done so many different things, for the most part, you've stayed, you know, more or less in the studio. It's funny how these, you know, how things, you know, come about, I guess. Yeah, I would have I would have preferred the play-by-play life. Uh, it's funny that you you mentioned that because I always thought being at the games and and working with a team, you know, like the work you've done with with other teams, and now of course with the Rockies, that was always uh, my you know my carrot that I wanted to get. And I, 
you know, I had my opportunities a couple times to do some events, but never really got a steady diet of it. And I, uh, that, that was always it for me was play by play, uh, was going to be, uh, the, the top of anything I could ever do. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, no matter, and I, and I say this cause I like to kid you and, and people who know you know you, you, you're one of the wittiest people I know, but you, whatever, seriously, whatever you would put your mind to, I know you'd be, really successful and had the planets aligned where it was on the play-by-play side obviously you would have thrived in that regard as well what what is it about i, I will say this uh, we both grew up in new york uh and when i first got into the business and i was fortunate enough as you know i started in aspen when there was a small little station in aspen i mean what, you can't start in a better quote-unquote small market than that but i, I was very ethnocentric everything was biding time until I could move back to to New York and at some point that went away and now I there's no place on God's green earth I'd rather live than Colorado was it the same for you and then you kind of became a Colorado yeah uh you know it's funny because I, I I specifically talked to my son and certainly to anyone um who's young that I like to think that I made the most of opportunities but boy did I get opportunities life kept handing me great opportunities, great chances. I got a job just because of a friendship, uh, my first professional job working at the ABC station in New Haven, Connecticut. And because I was working at the station in New Haven, Connecticut, along comes ESPN 20 miles to the north in Bristol, Connecticut, for no you know real reason. And they hired a bunch of people from that station. And those people said, you should you know, hire Tommy's a sports whiz. And so I end up at ESPN in its infancy. And then one of the, the the bosses that I worked for at the station in New Haven after I left for ESPN, he leaves and he becomes the news director at what was then KBTV, Channel 9 in Denver. And he offers me a job because Jim Gray had just left Channel 9 to go work at PRISM in Philadelphia and, you know, suddenly I have an opportunity in Denver of all places. And, and, you know, while I've changed stations, I haven't left. But, you know, none of that was me sending out tapes or grinding or anything. But when windows opened, I was able to, to slip through them and, and stay below the, the fray long enough to survive. Yeah, it's interesting because the last two weeks, Jim Gray was on was on the podcast and you know it, it's funny because I, I don't know Jim well I've run into him over the years as we all do uh, you know periodically and we ended up putting over like an hour on tape and so we did it in, in two parts and and you you talk about a, a guy that and he's really talented great interviewer but people just gravitate all these famous people gravitated toward toward Jim. And he's got you know he has that new book out. It's kind of fascinating stuff, I think. Yeah, his his life I've I've been friends with Jim since, you know, I was the one who was able to replace him at Channel Nine, so to speak. And um so I knew the people that he knew well, the Mike Nolans and Gary Cruises and Corey McFerrins at the time and and uh so I got to know Jim and uh have you know talked with them ever since but yeah his book is fantastic and the, the happenstance of life is something you look back on and uh for for many people who you know I'm always uh consider myself so lucky I've been the the luckiest guy you can imagine because things happen have happened for me and they've happened for me at the right time and and you look at a guy like Jim Gray and it's 
it's the same. And then it's what do you do with it? You know, that that's my lesson, of course, to, to youngsters is, um, you know, if that if that opportunity presents itself, are you ready and, and what can you do with it? Yeah. And you made the transition from sports to news. And I think even if you're not in the industry where we've been employed, fortunately, for a long time, I think you, you most people are astute enough to realize that because of the you know advent of the Internet and, and now smartphones, you really don't need, with all due respect to those, you know, great people who are busting their butt in, in news to give you the sports at 1025 in Denver or, or back where we're from, 1125, whatever it is. Um, back back when you first started doing it, that's when you found out, oh, the Nuggets won, here are the highlights, oh, so-and-so's on the trading block. You got everything in that five, six, seven minutes, whatever you guys got late in the show, and at some point you realize that that is kind of going to go away or or at least in large measure go away and you transitioned as Ron Zappolo did to the new side what was the genesis of that time well for me it was interesting i um uh was uh, my last full-time sports job was over at channel 7 did 3 years over there doing their their nightly sports casts and uh they wanted me to do more and I wanted me to do less because at the time my son uh, was five and I needed to spend more time being a dad. And um, it became a complicated thing between us. Not, you know, they, they, I appreciate what they were looking for. I needed to be at the station less. I was happy to continue work, but I, I needed to spend more time as a father. And then uh, when that didn't pan out for me, um, Channel 2 offered me the opportunity to do the morning show, which, of course, meant waking up at 2 a.m., but then I'd be home when, you know, Connor got home from school, and uh, it, it and it, it's something that just, just happened. I was terrified uh, of doing it for a variety of reasons. Um, one is just the idea of waking up at 2.30 every morning. I figured I would just blow it. You know, I just, there'd be a couple mornings I wouldn't wake up, but that didn't happen, and um, to, to frame the story, though, uh, I left and I had a no compete clause and I was sitting at home for, for several months and 9-11 happened. And I was so grateful to be home with my son, uh, that, that day and those subsequent days, uh, as a father. Whereas I thought about it, if I had been a newscaster, even a sportscaster, what would have been asked of me and, and how I would have managed parenting. Um, and so I really began my news career right after 9-11 uh, when, I mean, everything had shifted, of course, and it was, um, uh, it, it added to the weight, the importance, and uh, not not the stress, but the pressure to, to be on top of it all the time when you do the news. Uh, it certainly changed everything. Was your personality, did, did you feel like, you, you you develop an on-air personality. I always tell, speaking of you know, imparting advice to young people, I say your on-air personality shouldn't be a, a grand departure from who you are walking around. Be yourself is the is the general message. And um, did you feel like okay, I have to take on a, a different feel because I'm now doing the the more serious end as opposed to the Toy Story por- portion of the uh, of the news. 
Yeah, I mean, there's obviously some of that, and that's just an awareness also of where you are in each show and each story. Um, there are so many times, you, at least for me, that you relearn, I think, the most valuable lesson in doing newscasts because there are times when you'll do, you know, four, five, six stories in a row, and it's a fire here, and it's a, it's a veto there, and it's this and that. You kind of just rattle them off, and then, you know, one day it hits closer to home. And then you realize all these stories hit close to someone's home and they all need to be treated as such. You know, if this is just a, you know, what seems to be a house fire that's another house fire, well, it isn't to people in that neighborhood or to people in that family. And um, I think you have to grasp that and understand it. Um, but what you say about the, you know, your personality, I've always uh, tried to maintain that uh that proximity there there's a bit of a difference between being on air and and in a car with your your buddies or your family so but but it should be rooted in the same place yeah because otherwise uh i don't think you can keep it up i don't if it's a charade or if it's an act i think that that eventually comes apart We'll have more with my old buddy tom green in a moment but first uh this from one of our great sponsors Ideal Home Loans. If you're interested in saving money, and I think we all are, call Brent Ivinson's team at Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000, and they'll help you do exactly that. Whether you're refinancing in the market for a new mortgage because you just bought a beautiful new home, or if you need to consolidate debt, the folks to call Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. Brent Ivinson beginning his 20th year in 2021, and they've done a marvelous job. They have so many repeat customers like myself because they take care of you. 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. And now more with Tom Green. So are you a sports guy doing news, or do you feel like, you know, no, I've, I've, I've been a news guy now for a long time. I love sports, but I'm a newsman. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'd describe that. It's interesting because I always think that I, I do stories, I read stories, I tell stories the same way. But I've had people tell me time and again, they say, when you get a sports story, you come alive. And I'm going, well, I guess I guess I, I don't see it. I don't sense it, but it must be true because I've heard it from enough people. So my hunch is I'm, uh, I'm a sports guy in news guys' clothing right now. Yeah. Well, I, I find it natural for you on Sunday nights um, when invariably Sunday night football is going to end and leave you guys a, a – you know, a bonus of 25 or 30 minutes before the 10 o'clock comes on. And you're more or less, I mean, you're doing some other stories, but you're doing, you know, more of a, a sports thing, probably wrapping a lot of what happened with the Broncos that day or that weekend. And, and that, you know, that's right up your, you know, it's in your wheelhouse. Yeah. It, well, it's just easy, you know, for me. I I pay attention to the, the world, but boy, do I pay attention to, to sports. And I understand what, what sports means in this town, specifically the Broncos. And if you're going to have a conversation with Rod Mackey or, or Mike Kliss, uh, you better know what's going on. <laughs> you yeah, better, yeah. And you better have an opinion. Uh, and, and that's something you don't get to do. Uh, you know, there are other broadcasters like our fellow IC guy, Kyle Clark. Kyle is an opinionated guy. I, I, via age, via personality, I tend to play it more straight down the middle and, and let people sort their, their own ideas out. But when it comes to sports, 
you know, I, I have an, what I call it a mildly educated opinion about things that have happened and things that should happen. Yeah, you know what, I, and you're probably not giving yourself as much, because I know you have a lot of opinions, but, and one of your closest friends, I, I assume in life, but also certainly in the business, and, and a guy I've gotten to know through the years is just, you know, a, a mensch of a, of a guy is Jim Beneman. And speak, yeah. speaking of guys who've had long and distinguished careers in our town, and, and Benny, um, is very opinionated and not afraid to share his opinions on social media, which, and I've talked to him about this, which I always found interesting at first because, you know, as a news person, there's, number one, people want objectivity because you have people watching from both sides of the aisle and, and diverse opinions. Um, I, I have found it, um, I guess, very interesting that they allow him, his employer, allow him to be somewhat outspoken on social media. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think I'd be allowed as well. But again, it goes back to personality, and uh, I think Jim is willing to engage, uh, tangle, kid around with uh, the anonymous people who you know disagree or want to want to battle you on your opinions. Uh, me, I'm a little more. I don't really have time to do all that, at least in my own mind. Uh, so I, I, I tend to just try to have some sarcasm here and there, a little fun, little things that I find interesting and um, tend to keep my opinions to myself because, as you say, I think it protects your your objectivity. Everybody has opinions. Uh, sharing them, you know, isn't isn't necessarily how I feel I need to go forward all the time anyway. Yeah, I, I fall into the latter category for probably for obvious reasons. Um, you, you want to protect your, you know, whatever turf you have, and, and you don't want to alienate uh, at times. But pri privately, I'm not afraid to uh, uh, espouse my opinions. <laughs> I know that. Yes, yeah. you do. You do know that. Hey, I, I don't know if there was a better gig for Tom Green than Sports on Tap. Because because it allowed your personality and your wit and your and your dry sense of humor uh, to come out. Was that among the the most uh, enjoyable things you've done in your career? The the old ESPN uh, uh, sports trivia show. You know what I liked about it was it was so unique. Um, I always tell people though, one of our good friends, that my best job ever was doing radio with Doug Moe and then Dan Issel. I just I just love sitting in a room uh for four hours with Doug and uh and talking about whatever. But the game show is another one of those crazy opportunities. Um a lady I'd worked with at ESPN had come out to Colorado and she before she'd worked at ESPN had worked with uh, some of the old time uh game show producers, Bob and then his son Sandy Stewart. And they had made like Pyramid and I think Password. I mean, really classic shows. And they were trying to develop a project for ESPN. And she put me in front of them and they told me the job was to be kind of a smart ass in a bar talking about sports. And I said, I don't know if I can carry that off. That doesn't sound like <laughs> me at all. <laughs> so it was, it was almost as though they, they had built, um, the project for me, and it, it almost led to me doing other game shows. Uh, they they then uh, were trying to put together the match game again. Remember the Gene Rayburn yeah, show? Sure, absolutely. The long microphone, 
And uh, the funny thing happened. They said, "Oh, you'd be perfect at this." So we're gonna we're gonna make a, a pilot for the match game, and we're gonna pair it with card sharks, and we're gonna syndicate it. And I go, "Great." They say you got audition, uh, so we got some money guys. They got to see you. So I come out and I do match game, and they go perfect. And then right before I come out to shoot the pilot, they go, "We're gonna switch and have you do card sharks." And I was like, "Really? I don't, I don't dig card sharks. I don't really know the game. I don't want to, you know, but yeah. I'll do it." Okay, so I come out. And we're shooting the pilot for card sharks and everybody, they've built this massive game show set and everybody is, is down in the dumps. And the reason was they had shot the match game pilot the day before. And the reason they replaced me was they thought with a little star quality, they could make match game go better. And they'd hired Charlene Tilton, the young actress from Dallas. Yeah. And they had her do match game, and it was a disaster. So no matter what card sharks looked like, the two of them as a pairing were going to go nowhere. So we shot the pilot. It didn't go anywhere, and my game show career was over. She killed your game show career. Charlene Tilton is the respons- is responsible for keeping me from a, a game show life that I could have led. With this. I, I did learn the game show handshake, you know, Wink Martindale and Alex Trebek. We... We have a secret handshake. I can't tell you about it, but it's uh, pretty cool. Actually, seriously, I thought that would be a natural because I remember when you were doing that, and somehow if you get in that world, um, you know, and you crank out, what do they do, Tom? They crank out like five shows a day or something? or Yeah. They did me a favor, though, because we would make five a day, and uh, I would I was still working full time, so I would finish my work at Channel Nine. I was still working sports doing weekends there, but I had a five day a week schedule. I would fly into Burbank. I'd wake up early the next morning. We'd go make five shows. We'd get back the next day. We'd make five more shows, and I'd get on a plane and I'd go right back. I'd land and go right back to work at at nine. So it was a hectic schedule but what they did for me was eventually we started instead of making 10 on the weekend we'd make 15 on the weekend which was a you know a lot of tv to make but we would uh at least only have to do it every three weeks instead of every other week yeah it's um i've always wondered and, and you certainly would have greater insight than i would why the sports trivia show and we all love sports trivia, and, and gosh knows, you know, you were back in, in the embryonic stage of the ESPN, and, and even though we loved sports, I felt like, how's a 24-hour sports channel going to ever work? And, and we know what it's become and what it's spawned. This, but with sports trivia, why has it never taken off where there's been the, the regular show, almost the Jeopardy version, if you will, um, that has been long-lasting? I don't know. I think we were pretty close. I, I think sports, you know, goes from being a, a niche to to mainstream, you know, where it is now. You you look at, you know, we love hockey, but hockey is not really considered mainstream. NBC carries the games, but they know that there's a huge portion of the audience that isn't going to tune in to watch a hockey game. Basketball's crossed over a bit. Uh, baseball sadly seems to be fading some, but you know football is the, is the mainstream currency of, of sports. So I don't know if I don't know if trivia works. I thought we were close. I thought we were ahead of our time. I think it wasn't long after that that game shows 
caught fire again uh, with uh, Regis Philbin and who wants to be a millionaire came out maybe a year or two after we uh, were canceled. So I think had we made that show maybe a year later, uh, it might have had a longer life. I think we made, I don't know, maybe less than 100 shows altogether. Have you ever thought about um, trying to to get back into that world or, or is that ship sailed? Not for me now. Um, I mean, if something came along, I, I, I guess I'd listen for sure. But I don't, uh, I, you know, I'm pretty content doing what I'm doing. Obviously, I, I enjoy working back at Channel 9 um, after a long time there in the 80s and, and through the mid-90s. But uh, uh, I I don't know what I'd be interested in doing. You know, clearly there's still some, some sports left in me. Uh, I like doing the news. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that a game show opportunity is going to come and find me, though, but if, if they call, I'll take the call. Have, have you ever thought about this? I'm sure I would guess you have, and, and I certainly have, where you go, here would be my absolute ideal job, and sometimes it's even, um, you know, I don't want to call it professional jealousy, but, you know, where you say, boy, I'd love that guy's gig. If I had that guy's gig... Boy, that would be the be-all, end-all. Do you do? Do you go down that road? Yeah, but I, I know better because I also know that people look at what you do and what I do, and and everyone gets to look at the the upside, the exterior view of it, and, and not that there's a downside, but they don't see the work involved. Uh, they don't see, you know, that. so for whatever perfect job there is, there's clearly a price that you have to pay as well. Um, you know, there are times, like I said, play-by-play was always the one, you know, so I, I look at, like, the work you do or, or you know, Mosier does or Chris Marlowe, you know, all these, these guys that get to do the games, and I think that's that's fantastic. I When, you know, you talk about the luck of life, uh, Doug uh, Mo and I were doing our show on the fan, and the Nuggets at the time were not very good, and Bernie Bickerstaff was, was you know, kind of a taciturn uh, you know, he was the he ran the show, and we used to have you on as a guest, and it was difficult for you to talk about a team that just wasn't very interesting or very good at the time. And we we right. bounced it around, and with Doug's background, we love to talk basketball. And then all of a sudden, the hockey team falls in our lap. All of a sudden, hockey does. <laughs> Peter Forsberg come to town, and 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 you know you have you know the late Pierre Lacroix is building this fantastic hockey team that that Colorado is going to quickly learn about but as soon as they came uh two good old friends of yours Mike Diamond and Kenny Miller and I had lunch and we talked about it and I I I was really interested in doing the hockey doing the play-by-play and stuff and they instead they made a terrific choice they got John Kelly to do the games with Pete McNabb and it's just their broadcasts were were excellent in in those golden early years of, of hockey here but uh, you know, those play-by-play opportunities, I always think of, of those as the ones that, you know, they're, they're probably not ahead of me, but uh, I would have loved to have had more of them behind me. Tom's had a great run, and it's always fun to talk shop with uh, somebody that has been around almost longer than I have by a few years, and I, and I like to remind him of that. But you, you're able to remember stories, remember periods of time, and... Uh, it's neat, and we're going to do some more of that next week with uh, with Tom as well, and I think you'll enjoy it. Last week, I told you that I was going to share a story, a broadcast story, a Christmas story uh, 
um, that I failed to do. I, I teased it at the beginning of the show, and I, and I realized afterward that I never told the story. So I'm going to tell it uh, post-Christmas instead of in front of Christmas. And, um, you know, in the, in the world of sports, in the world of sports broadcasting, sports entertainment, you often work on holidays. And it, it's a pleasure because to be in this business is a great privilege, um, and with it comes the understanding that, while families are gathering and, and groups of people are gathering on, on 4th of July or on Christmas or on New Year's, you're often at an arena, at a stadium. Privilege. Nothing else I'd, I'd want to do. Um, and sometimes it means you are traveling uh, on that day and really uh, don't have time to uh, you know, do things that most everybody else is doing because you're preparing uh, for a broadcast or that sort of thing. Well, it takes me to a Christmas, oh man, many moons ago, and I had a game on December 26th. It was, I believe, the Cleveland Browns at the New England Patriots, and it was 1993. It was the year before I got married, and my then-girlfriend, who be, later became my wife, I had told her, this is really cool. You'll go with me. We'll go to uh, you know Boston. Actually, when you play the Patriots, you stay in Providence, typically. And um, we'll, you know, we'll have a nice time, and then we'll, we'll go to the game. And it, it's really cool. They, you know, NBC treats you great. You get limoed everywhere you go and that sort of thing. And I was, uh, you know, I was 30 years old, and, and, and I was like, this, this is pretty neat. And I didn't have to impress her, but it was going to be it was going to be a different Christmas, but it was going to be fun. So we land on on Christmas Day at Logan Airport in Boston, and then we're going to have about a forty minute drive down to Providence. It was just easier to fly into Boston, and we're going to stay in Providence. And the next day, you know, after meetings on, on Christmas, the next day is the game, the, the Browns and the Patriots. So we land at Logan, and there's not a ton of people traveling on Christmas Day, and there's. No one waiting as typically there would be with a sign that says, you know, Goodman on it. And, and then they take you in a limo to, to your hotel. And I'm like, boy, this is strange. And some time goes by. And now like a half hour goes by, 40 minutes go by. And I'm like, man, there's no one here. This is really unusual. It's never happened to me before. And I have a number for the travel department. I'm thinking, wow, I'll call it. But who's going to answer um, and I think I had to go to a pay phone. This is before cell phones. Uh, who's going to answer? It's Christmas Day. Well, by some good fortune, there was somebody who was manning the travel department. And they said, oh, man, I apologize. We sent the limo to Cleveland. In other words, they thought it was New England at Cleveland, not Cleveland at New England. So long story short is we not didn't have a limo anymore, so I wasn't going to impress uh, Chris with, you know, the fancy ride to the hotel. And now we had a 40-minute ride in a cab with a guy who was chain-smoking. And it, it, it kind of devolved from there. But that was my, that was a, a Christmas memory um, that I, I had um, from my days of, of traveling and, and doing games uh, on and around Christmas. But uh, it ended up uh, to be a fun deal. I have no idea who won the game. I remember Bill Parcells was coaching the Patriots back then, and he wasn't having the same success that he had, at least at that time, with the New York Giants. 
That will do it for the final podcast of 2020. We thank you so much, as always, for uh, for joining us. We're going to have part two with uh, Tom Green next week. Look forward to that and look forward to 2021 in a huge way. Happy New Year. Happy holidays, everybody. Stay safe. Stay well. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment that helps other people find the show.